Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. And Essie Ramirez. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. It's Lainey from the Library Love Fest team. I am joined for another episode of Editors Unedited by a returning editor, Julie Will. Hi, Julie. Hi, Lainey. Hi, Julie is the Vice President Editorial Director at Harper Wave, and she has an exciting episode for us, so I'm going to hand it over. Thanks, Lainey. Uh, well, I'm thrilled to introduce co-authors and dynamic duo of the culinary world, Daniel Holtzman and Matt Rodbard, authors of Food IQ, 100 Questions, Answers, and Recipes to Raise Your Cooking Smarts. Daniel is the founder chef of the Meatball Shop Restaurants in New York City and co-author of the Meatball Shop, Shop Cookbook. A sought-after educator and recipe writer, Daniel has been published in the New York Times and many other publications and has appeared on shows such as Today, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, The Tonight Show, The Martha Stewart Show, and many, many more. Matt is the founding editor-in-chief of the James Beard award-winning online food magazine, Taste, and is the co-author of Koreatown, a cookbook, a New York Times bestseller. He's been published in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Bon Appetit, GQ, Travel and Leisure, Lucky Peach, and many more. Matt is the host of the Taste podcast, featuring interviews with thought leaders and food and media. And they're both here today. Hi, guys. Wow, what an introduction. I feel like we need to, do, do you have any accolades that we can, yeah, we can, we can try and feel like here? Julie, Julie Will is the editor of <laughs> Food IQ. You are. It's soon to be a New York Times bestseller. Yes. Thank you for having us. Thanks for being here. Um, so, you know, where I'd love to start is to kind of talk about the the genesis of the book, the inspiration for the book. I just read these lengthy bios and uh, people know about your amazing experience, but people might not know how you two came together. Um, and I know the sort of the relationship that inspired the, the questions that make up the book, but I would love to hear a little bit about that evolution from you guys. And maybe just so to help the listeners identify voices, maybe Matt, you could kick it off. Sure. Thanks, Julie. Um, you know, Daniel and I have known each other for a decade. I met him when I was writing about his restaurant, The Meatball Shop, um, which he opened in Lori's side. He was, you know, a chef. I was a writer. We were interviewing each other. I was interviewing him. And really, we we, we, we clicked right away. Um, and we continued um, this relationship that has grown from a chef writer to a, a real friendship. Um, so over the course of the past decade, we've both written together, we've podcasted together, and um, it's basically been me and Daniel um, riffing on food food ideas. And we got to the idea of this, this book when Daniel's like, I've been answering Matt's questions and, and we've been talking about food. Why don't we just put it down on paper and actually, and write it down? What do you think, Daniel? That sounds about right? Yeah, I feel like we, um... We met and early on, I had always kind of been interested in writing a little bit. And Matt took me on as somebody who, 
who um, uh, uh, as somebody, some Matt was the only person that said, hey, you know, actually, if you're interested in writing in earnest, um, maybe we should co-author a column together. And I, I've, I was really excited about that. So we started writing together, I guess it was eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A long time, long, long yeah. time, a, a long history. It's the questions that really came from a place of, of me as the writer being like, uh, let's let's demystify uh, all these topics that um, I might know a little bit about as a food writer, but don't know the deeper meaning of um, like which potato to use when when mashing or roasting. Uh, I mean, you go to the grocery store and you look at like six to 10 to 20, depending on the size of different potatoes. I was just shopping yesterday and it still makes my head spin. But for Daniel, it's natural. He's like the Yukon gold is for, you know, fries. But like, let, let's take 199 more of those was the idea and like really have this conversation. And that's where the book came from. So, so that's a good, that takes us to another good point, which is there are so many questions and there are so many ways this book could have gone. So sort of how did you guys go about wrapping your arms around that? And, and what um, did you use as sort of your, you know, your guiding principles of, you know, what belongs in the book, what doesn't belong in the book, what, you know, what is an essential uh, piece of culinary knowledge? What, you know, what is maybe the next level up for readers that they might not have thought of? You know, how did you go about that? I think we just, didn't we just send like a free form manuscript and we had this amazing editor that helped <laughs> our uh, put it all together? <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, we started um, from a couple sources. First, we sent a survey to like a hundred of our closest friends, uh, people in the industry and, and really wanted to get a sense of what were the burning questions out there. Um, and we and we got a sense right away that people wanted to know about technology and, and cooking gear. You know, there's so much out there, but right away, like, should I buy this knife or that knife? Should I buy an Instapot, et cetera? We, we go into detail. We have a whole section about that. But also um, leveling up is a really important idea and facet here where we, we know that there are a lot of cooks out there and home cooks who, who have this, this foundation of knowledge you know it's it's not like um you know we're on the era of like i don't know how to boil water i don't i mean those are those people don't exist really i mean in my in my opinion i feel like most people have a general sense of cooking so food iq is is here to level up and, and really take some of these these ideas these fragments and put put the pieces together and that's where daniel's skill really came in when talking about these hundred questions and, and for the record it was impossible to pick a hundred. <laughs> like we were really, really struggled with that. And there's many more to come. I mean, I guess to that point, we we talked a lot about the audience for this book and we were calling it sort of foodie 2.0. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this book was also, I don't know if it was conceived of, but it was, you know, it was shopped and acquired during the sort of the height of the pandemic, right? At a time when people became, really, you know, even more invested in cooking and sort of upping their cooking game and taking on these special projects. Like, I'm curious, you know, as, as a chef and a, and a food writer and at home cook, what do you think it is about cooking that really resonated so strongly with people in the last, you know, let's just call it two years? You feel like I know, small question. <laughs> well, I mean, during during you know, at a, at a time where where folks were were forced to cook, um, really forced to cook for themselves and for their families for the first time, I think that the the lack of institutional cooking knowledge became you know just 
extremely evident. And, you know, so I just read recently a, an amazing quote, and I'm, I'm so sad that I don't remember where, where it was from, this idea that in life we're constantly looking for um, uh, uh, great returns from small investments and cooking is one of the one as an example of what, what one of the few examples of a place where you can find that you know you can put a small investment into learning how to cook and you get amazing returns it's one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself and your family um and you know you want to be popular at a party you you bring great dip and this um uh, you know the that that idea for for us is very special being able to teach people how to cook is kind of giving giving folks that gift right i agree fully and i, I just will add that the idea of the foodie 2.0 the second generation foodie is, is real uh, and this isn't just a, a pandemic phenomenon we know that these skills acquired in the past 18 months are going to be and these, these interests are going to be prolonged beyond but i think to add to what it is to be a foodie and we embrace that term it is not the new f word at all it is a wonderful <laughs> term and i think you know you can bring your own dip to the party but you can also bring the knowledge um you know talking about cooking with the whole fish talking about deglazing which you know might not be cocktail party fodder but actually when you talk about cooking at your party with your friends you're like okay i roasted that 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 piece of of, of really great beef. And I, I have this thing in the pan that's called fond and I want to get it out. I want to add flavor. That's the glazing one example of a hundred, but I think there's cultural currency with this food knowledge that you're going to gain for food IQ. It's not just how to make food is how to talk about food. Right. Huge point in our book, because like we can't go and cook every day. We know that, but we can certainly talk about food every day. And Daniel Holzman, how about that? Is one of the better people about talking about food, right? And I and I actually get to cook every day, so I'm, I get, get I get my cake and I eat it too. No, that's true. I guess on the tail end of you know going back to the pandemic idea, you know, you guys really created this book um, at a time when there were a lot of restrictions on how much sort of FaceTime. I mean, you know, in real life, FaceTime you could have with each other. Um, and with travel and, you know, Daniel was in LA, Matt was in, in Brooklyn for most of it. I was in the city and I couldn't even see Matt until this year. <laughs> um, but how did that, how did the logistics of that sort of impact the creation of, you know, manuscript development, photo shoots, recipe development and testing, all the things that go into making a cookbook? I mean, I, I think that the benefit of having to be stuck at home um, is really apparent on the pages of the book because Matt and I poured 100% of our energies into this project. Um, and, you know, how often do you see your, your dearest friends that you don't work with? Um, hopefully more than I do or Matt does. He's, he's a busy guy. I've got a, a fairly busy job. Um, and so, you know, with modern technologies and being able to Get on, you know, act, you know, on on a, on FaceTime, FaceTime or Zoom, FaceTime. We spent we spent the better part of a of a year um, in each other's homes from across the country. Yeah, a good question, Julie. These books that are coming out now and into the next spring and into next summer and fall, like, these are unique books. These are pandemic books. Extremely difficult to make these books. I've, we both have written books in in the before times. But to Daniel's point, we are able to really focus on the home cooking. We are able to, you know, cook these recipes uh, top to bottom and test them and retest them. But really, um, the challenge did uh, come, you know, about during the, the photo shoots and, and not being in the same location. 
But I think the restraint that we had created a really unique book and that it were really locked in on um, the concept. We weren't distracted with other, other ideas. And our book particularly, I feel like really came out better than ever because with Daniel and I were able to focus on the hundred questions. And, and really during the process of writing it, we were editing and changing the questions because they were coming up all the time in our feeds, in our lives from our friends. So it was cool. It was pretty cool. I think we might have actually written 103 questions. <laughs> I and, uh, think so. Hard to keep track of. I feel like the original version of the manuscript I received had more than 100 questions. Is that true? Am I oh, mad? Jeff, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we didn't design it with numbers. So, you know, if, if you're a close reader, maybe you want to count them up and we'll see. Maybe there are actually no. <laughs> I mean, from like a nuts and bolts perspective, Matt had a whole a whole spreadsheet, which, you know, he had color coded. There were multiple columns constantly being added because as we, you know, there were like you write the question then you come up with the answer and then you've got the recipe and then you've got the interview and then you've got the adjunct, you know, uh, uh, professor who's adding to the conversation and each one was expanding and then there was the, you know when, when whether it's going to be a photo and then maybe there'll be an illustration and so i think somewhere along the line we've got a, a you know 100 page yeah um, we've 100 we've, question yeah. yeah way more than 100 pages uh, i'll just add to I, I think it's important to note that this book is not just in the voice of daniel and i i think one big part of it is bringing knowledge from over 50 interviews we did um, with with experts many of them are in q a form and really easy to read and digest in that's so important when, when really raising your food IQ is not just Daniel and I's knowledge, but folks like Roy Choi, Ina Garten, uh, Eric Repair. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. We interviewed Yoda Nadalangi about hummus. You know, we had all these Chris Nelson about the, the, the history of fried chicken. I mean, we really had these wonderful voices and dialogues with experts in the field. And, and that was cool during the pandemic because, you know, oftentimes these folks aren't even available to answer their phone, but we were able to get them on the, on the Zoom because, you know, no one's doing anything. So it's a cool book. There's a lot in there uh, and there's a lot of surprises in there. Yeah, the interviews just add another layer. I mean, the, you know, the conversation between the two of you is ongoing and then these contributions from all these incredibly um, talented folks, it just, really deepens the reader's appreciation of all of these topics. I'm wondering, do you guys have in the, in the process of creating, you know, your, your, uh, your Google doc and your spreadsheet, is there a question that fell by the wayside that you're still thinking about? Is there a favorite that didn't make it into the book? <laughs> wow. What's a great, that's a, that's such a great question. What's, what's, what's a question that, What's the 101st best question? Oh my gosh, I feel like we cut a lot. I feel like there were a lot of tools and technology that we struggled with. And but the, the hardest chapter for us was, you know, talking about um, how do we how do we frame the most iconic dishes or our favorite dishes? And then, you know, we got it down to, hey, there are going to be 12 dishes in this chapter. Um, but how do you pick your favorite 12 dishes? Right. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, um, there's a chicken Basquez that's, um, that all three of us, uh, Matt's wife, which who all included because she was, um, intimately involved in the, in the yes. communication, um, uh, that all three of us agreed on, uh, needed to make the book, but the, but the, but the other 11 were, were absolutely difficult. And there are so many iconic dishes from around the world that we wanted to find our, find oh gosh. our chapter. 
I mean, just landing on a burger was something that we we debated and we we have our, our, our top five burgers in there and just getting the right recipe. That was just something, you know, you're like, okay, what, is there anything else to say about the burger? Well, apparently there is because that was like one of our longest questions and just difficult to, to really parse out. I mean, I think that there's questions that are always popping up about, uh, about gear, uh, about grills. Like we didn't really get into... Um, the, the gear of the grill. I mean, that's its own book, to be honest, outdoor cooking. I mean, Daniel built his own grill during the pandemic. And like, we were like, oh, we should have like actually talked about the grill more, but we actually didn't. I mean, it's one of those things that there's always going to be a new ingredient that, that comes up and is asked about. Like this idea of chili crisp has been per, per, uh, perpetuating in food meat. We didn't really tackle chili crisp, except for we had a recipe for our own, but you know, there's just like always things popping up, Daniel, right? Yeah, I feel like the that's the fun of food is that the trend is constantly evolving. Um, new ingredients are constantly being imported or found or rediscovered. Um, new, you know, we, we talk about the the clay cooker in, in the cookbook, which is like, you know, a phenomenon of the 70s um, and is completely relevant today and how it, you know, how it trans, how, how cooking in that uh, device translates from cooking in the Instapot. And it's like, you know, we're constant, we're, we're as, as, as home cooks or as chefs, as chefs, it's our job to reinvent right. and rediscover. And as home cooks, it's our pleasure. On that note, do you have a favorite, not necessarily a favorite question or favorite mm. recipe, but I guess a favorite um, investigation, right? As you were exploring all the different topics for the book, and I'm sure you went down plenty of rabbit holes, like was there one that taught you something, you know, so, especially <laughs> important to you? I feel like um, brown butter, Brown butter proved to be extremely difficult. You know, as a chef, when someone asks you a question, like, how do you use brown butter? Um, what is brown butter? Pretty straightforward and simple. But then when you try and track down where it came from um, and, you know, why do people use it? Who was the, who was the first person to use it? Where's the first? It, it was, there was a real rabbit hole and an, an investigation um, brown butter kind of exploded onto the scene in certain countries. So, you know, it doesn't exist in one, in, you know, from, from one month, uh, 20 years ago, and then all of a sudden it's everywhere in a country the next month. So that was a really fun one to investigate. Um, and there's a lot of scientific kind of like, we tried to break down some of the science, um, and get it in there without mm -hmm. being, you know, boring. Cause the goal is certainly not to write a boring book and I can ramble on. If you're, I, I mean, I really like talking about the walk because I thought like I wrote a book about Korean food with, with a friend and I thought I knew a bit about walk cookery, but man, when we started diving into the walk, it started like on, it was like an onion, like the idea that the walk, you know, you know, use the edges of, of it for a higher heat. And then the, you can use it as a moat in the center and like just rethinking about how using that, 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 that structure also just talking to Shirley Chung. I think like getting her insight into how she uses walks um, and, and really um, the idea of like keeping it clean and keeping it not rusted. And there I- There are two I just, different types of walks, it turns out. Exactly, that was the other point. Yeah, there's two different types of walk, which I, I always thought there was, a, it was a singular vessel, a singular cooking piece of gear. And I then- I just the, feel like you write a, when this, when you write a book, it's something permanent, but usually you can kind of, Futs it and not necessarily get the facts perfectly, perfectly right. But in this book where we're really saying, hey, this is 
the science behind it. This is the, we had the pleasure. It was the most fun part probably of really having to delve in and learn, um, really having to delve in and learn. That was, that was kind yeah. of, I mean, for me, that was definitely the, the best part about writing this book. And I'll just say too, it's important to add that with this, like shout out to the librarians out there, um, you can read this book and cook from it. So each of these questions, you're going to learn about the walk. you can be sitting in the library reading about the walk uh, and then reading Shirley's interview. But then Daniel has come up with a recipe to go with each of these questions that you can then apply, go home, take it home and cook from it and get the, get the real like you know, the, the, the vibe of, of what this answer really means by actually having this recipe, which we're, we're kind of consider experiment, more like an experiment. So like we have these wok blister green beans with black bean sauce, this beautiful recipe uh, for like the best green beans I've had in a minute. And, and so it kind of connects the dots in a cool way. It's not just trivia. And I love that part about Food IQ. Trivia illustrated. Yeah, trivia plus application. <laughs> Well, yeah, education and yeah. plus application, really. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an entertaining way to be educated, and then you know, with that knowledge, you can, you can, visual, visceral, and uh, right. <laughs> yeah, and verbal, visual, verbal, and visceral. Love it. It's exactly. education to the max. Yeah, we've got a couple taglines to throw in there. Come on, we're doing it. We use this for copy. Um, well, I want. I think we're getting close to the end. I wanted to just have a little. Fun here. Not that we haven't been having fun. I've been having fun. fun the whole time. But um, I in the in the book we had um, something called Mary F or Kill, and I was going to replicate that here and decide to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> Too spicy. We're going to call it. And, we're going to call frankly, it date. We're going to call it date kiss or or uh, or admonish. date kiss or admonish with Matt and Dan. <laughs> I was also daunted by trying to come up with. Um, with topics clever enough for you guys. So instead I, I chickened out and, and I thought we might do uh, overappreciated, underappreciated or overhyped, underhyped. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm just gonna give you categories and I'd love to hear your responses. Great. All right, most overhyped appliance and underhyped. Sous vide machine Emergent is overhyped. circulator, overhyped, <laughs> oh, the worst. We just, did we just say the same yeah, one the same, same time? one. I mean, we what, literally what, just like, said you it. Know. it you you take the French version. I call sous vide sous vide, and I'll call it an immersion circulator because I'm yeah. from America. Um, <laughs> they both agree it's a meat foot bath. Uh, yeah, it is, and and there's been a lot of cookbooks about it, and and you know bless those folks. But I think for underage, for me, mortar and pestle, uh, you know, it's not just for making guacamole, which is pretty dope if you go to like you know cool restaurant. But I think you can you use it all the time, and I think. Getting your grinding spices, whole, grinding whole spices in a in a mortar pestle is is amazing. I just I, I'm so embarrassed to agree with you. Jesus, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> we're so simpatico. That that mortar and pestle is something that I I pull down from the shelf and I use all the time because you know cleaning the spice grinder is a pain in the butt and yep. there's so many different um, uh, applications for it. Definitely grinding salt so that it's fine enough to season popcorn where the salt doesn't fall to the bottom of the bowl without making the popcorn greasy. All you have to do is make it powdered. Yeah. Who knew? So smart. We, we learned that when we were writing this cookbook Yeah. called Food IQ. Yeah. Um, all right, well then let's go, since you both love the mortar and pestle so much, what about uh, overhyped, underhyped spice? Nah. Salt, 
is definitely the most underhyped. If you had if you had to want a desert island that wasn't surrounded by seawater, that's what I'd bring with me. I agree. Underhyped because you aren't parsing the difference between brands of kosher salt. Morton's and Diamond Crystal are two different products. We write about that. We also write about how the pink salt is pretty overrated. So not to segue to that, like that stuff is more aesthetic, but all the different types of salt that you can buy really actually mean something. Uh, and we Pretty things that. are nice to look at, but it's the substance we're looking for. Right. So salt's a good one. I mean, overrated for me, uh, man, how do I do this without creating an international incident? Um, because <laughs> most, I would say, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I'll just say I, I've written too many articles about Zatar. I love it. I love the flavor of it. Uh, it is a spice from the Middle East. and it, Is it a spice or is that a spice medley? You know, It's more of a blend, but you can also get the, the live Zatar. But it doesn't go good. It's not good in everything. I think I'm guilty of writing that. So Nutmeg. I'm calling nutmeg because no. nutmeg is just uh, not my, you know, it's like, when was the last time that you were like, oh, I can taste the nutmeg. That's really driving my senses. Like nutmeg is something that, you know, when I, as a chef, you you put it in there it lays a base but if you can taste it you put too much unless you're unless you're making uh what's that what's that creamy disgusting stuff that people drink around christmas eggnog oh that was gonna be on my my that was gonna be on my mary f kill list i was gonna do a holiday i'm marrying i'm marrying eggnog because she's a delicious delicious beast yeah we're actually gonna go there we are we are not too spicy for the library i'd say i'm going to uh f mary I'm going to F the eggnog because it's just one of those like quick and over kind of things. <laughs> God damn. Woo, one time a season and that's it. That's all I need. Yeah. Um, I think we have time for one last over <laughs> under hype and then we got to wrap it up. Um, I mean, I'll kind of leave this to you. I was going to say dish or ingredient. I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys. What dish would you, what dish, what dish is really, you know, overrated. Man. We wrote, we wrote, look, hummus, man. I think they got to put hummus back in its place. You know, it's like hummus is really overstepping here. You know, yeah. I, I don't know when hummus became an entree. Um, I, I don't want to say I don't like hummus because hummus is extremely delicious. We wrote about why it's important to make your own hummus at home because um, hummus is this, it, it really is. A, 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 it's, the, it's, a, it's almost a, a, a ambrosia on, on, on one level, but like, did they really just eat ambrosia all day long? I think hummus is 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 is, a, is at this point overrated. I'm yeah. Is that, is that horrible to say? It's not a bad idea. I would say this: oh, underrated is pour over coffee. Is coffee coffee as an ingredient or as a dish? I consider it a dish because you create a recipe. We have one and you make it. And coffee is just undervalued and underappreciated in our society. We don't pay enough for it. We wait, waking up, waking up late for this and, um, and, uh, <laughs> and not being caffeinated. I have to, I would, I would have to agree before this, I would not have agreed, but I got to say that coffee really, really would have gone a long way. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Matt and Daniel, thank you so much for your time. It's been really fun to have this conversation. I just want to remind um, all of our librarians listening that food IQ goes on sale February 22nd, 2022. Oh, thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. 
Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week. Thank you.